Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We come every week to Gospel Saving Church, and we convert my beautiful home in McKinney, Texas, just a little house church that we have. And it's a, it's a miracle that we are able to get what we do and do what we do in such a short amount of time. We're getting so good at it. We're, we come and we prepare every week and we get ready, and then we come unto the house of the Lord. My house turns from the house where I live to the house of the Lord every Sunday. So I, I hope and pray that the Lord is uh, pleased and well pleased with our lives to be able to dwell in the house of the Lord every day, because I hope my house is kind of like the house of the Lord every day. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you, everybody, for taking time out of your busy week to come and, and hear the word of the Lord today. I, I prepare long and hard for uh, these messages. As uh, <laughs> I was on my laptop the other night, and as I was working, just a little side note, I, I just went to a save screen. I said, I was going to save it, you know, so I had to get up and I had to do something. And I looked down in the right-hand corner of my screen, and it said, it said, document being modified almost four hours. And I went, Wow! No way. I've been sitting here for four hours working on the sermon. Now this morning, I'll, I'll barely be around an hour. And so just one of the days that I prepared, just one day, just one time that I prepared was around four hours. Just one day, one time. That wasn't even, I work on the message seven days every single week almost, seven days. So praise be to God. I, I labor really long and hard and strong for in the Lord and make the message. I hope you know, in the Lord, I want to hear what he has to say, and I want to relay that message unto you every week, and I labor really hard to do that and not to make any mistakes, and so praise be to God. I love being up here and love teaching you the Word of God, and everybody that's coming all over the world, wherever you're coming from, welcome, whether you're YouTube or SoundCloud, welcome. Uh, I consider you in my home as well as the people that are here, so God bless you, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church for you too. So I'm going to pray real quick. And we'll get to our title of our sermon and our little scripture verse. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, let's ask the Lord to bless our message today, please. Because I need all the blessing I can get. Lord, thank you for bringing us all here today. Thank you for blessing us, Lord, with life. And Lord, thank you for blessing us with all your promises, Lord. Lord, the world doesn't give us any promises, Lord. All the world promises us is that we'll die. Really, that's the only real promise that we get in life. Because there's no promises that we're going to live happy. There's no promises in the world that we're going to live healthy. There's no promises in the world that we're going to, you know, be rich or, or that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're guaranteed to be this, Lord, because there's no guarantees in life at all. But, Lord, in you, there's, there are promises, and you are full of rich promises. So, Lord, thank you for all your promises. Thank you for all your many blessings that you give us, Lord, because you give us much more than death. Lord, the world and this flesh and this sin and this world, that just gives us death. But Lord, in you, if we're in you, Lord, we never die. We live on forever. So Lord, the promises are so rich and so abundant, Lord, we just thank you so much that you give us those awesome promises, Lord, and, and eternal life to boot, Lord. Praise you and thank you. I pray that today, Lord, you'd bless this message, Lord. Bless our ears. Bless our eyes. Bless our minds, Lord, as your word is poured upon our minds and our hearts today. I pray, Lord God, that as I prayed this morning, Lord, well, I'll pray and I ask, and I ask this a little extra, Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate what you have given me this week unto those that will ever listen to this message ever. I pray, Lord God, that this message would 
shake hearts and shake minds, Lord, as people listen to it, Lord. I pray that people would be impacted, Lord. I pray your word would, would change them, Lord, would modify them, Lord, the way they live and the way they think, Lord. I pray that you would, you would go after them by your Holy Spirit as I'm speaking, Lord, and, and impact their hearts and, and change their minds, Lord God. I pray that after this message, people would not be the same as they were before this message, Lord. Praise you and thank you, Lord. I just pray all this, and I ask all this in the mighty name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So our message today is titled, Do You Hear Him Calling? Do You Hear Him Calling? That sounds like a little something, doesn't it? That sounds like almost like this is an outreach. Well, it is. This message today is not my normal message. We're actually only going to, st- we're actually all going to store, I'm not even going to have you, uh, you can open your Bibles if you want, but I'll read you the one little excerpt that we're going off of today. It's actually just a, a, a one sentence from last week's scripture, Matthew 16, 4, where the Bible declares about Jesus after the religious leaders came to him, and he left them and departed. And that'll be all the scripture, as far as I'm going to read this morning, to prelude into this message. So the title of the message, and remember, do you hear him calling? I got to tell you, this week as I prepared, something strange happened to me. I went to prepare like normal. Uh, Normally, I get into my study and I recap a little bit from last week. And then I move forward into the new context, the new scripture that we're going into. But that didn't happen this week. So my teaching today is not going to be normal protocol like what I normally do. Normally at Gospel Saving Church, we go verse by verse, section by section, chapter by chapter. This week we're we're stuck on a half of a verse from last week or a quarter of a verse from last week and he left them and departed. Uh, We're stuck on that. We're just going to kind of stay where we are from last week. Today, I kind of consider this one a a special evangelical message. This is not the normal type message. You know, and in case you guys didn't know, you know, those that know me better, they know this. You don't, coming from out there, my my absolutely first, I was saved right around 14 years ago. And uh, right away, God made me an evangelist. For 14 years or so, I've been preaching the gospel on the streets, everywhere, wherever, you know, throughout the whole country I've been. I've been a lot of places preaching the gospel. And talk to a lot of people. That's my very first supernatural gifting in the Lord is evangelism. God gave me a heart to reach the lost for Christ, and so that's what I've been doing. So that was my very first supernatural calling in the Lord, evangelism. Pastor, teacher, what I'm doing right now, what I feel led to do by God right now, you know, pastoring this little house church in McKinney, Texas, is the secondary thing. Well, today, you get my evangelistic side, because that's how God wanted it. You get my heart cry side, you get my evangelism side. You don't get the pastor-teacher side this week. So, let's begin. So, if we remember last week, and if you didn't listen to last week, then you need to go back and listen to it, but I'll recap it right now so you have a good idea of what I said, but it'd be a good idea if you wanted a full context of everything I talked about to go back to last week, uh, last week's message. So, as a recap for this week, for last week, Last week we looked at, remember, 
the sad way that Jesus Christ was met when he came back from the region of the Decapolis, when he entered back into Israel. Remember, he came back to the city of Magdala. And when he came back, what happened was, if you remember correctly, the hard-hearted testers, the hard-hearted Pharisees met him when he came back into Israel. And remember, they were testing him. He comes back. He had just done a whole bunch of miracles in the, in the region of Decapolis. He comes back, and remember we talked about how, you know, what kind of meeting, you know, should he have gotten? He should have gotten a blessing, really. He should have gotten favor. But instead, you know, he was met with these hard-hearted people who had seen all the supernatural miracles that he had done for a long time and still were rejecting him. In fact, these terrible, hard-hearted religious leaders really treated Jesus terribly. In fact, they had no respect for him at all. Our message today is a reflection on just one of the points that we talked about last week. This is the point that I'm going to emphasize this Sunday. The point is the fact that these religious leaders had witnessed such powerful miracles slash signs from Jesus as he was trying to call them to himself, yet they just kept rejecting him because of their pride, even though they believed him to be the Messiah. So imagine that. Think of that. They had seen all the supernatural miracles that Jesus was doing. Supernatural signs that he was doing. They knew, they believed, we talked about this last week, they believed, they knew he was Messiah. They knew he was the Christ. But because of pride, they refused to humble themselves before God. They refused to start following him and hence hardened their hearts off toward him and basically gave him the stiff arm. They just basically told him, we, we don't want anything to do with you. In fact, you're, in fact they, you know, they told him at one time at least, you, you're of the devil. We believe that you're from the devil. In fact, you do the works that you do in the name of the devil. So he called out to them over and over and over then, because although he didn't say, come to me, you know, you hard-hearted Pharisees and religious leaders, he did show himself and reveal himself to them through his miracles. So he was calling out to them, same as he's calling out to people today. Yet, they rejected him because of their pride. Now, this is horrible. This is horrible. It's more horrible and it's more horrific than any horror movie I've ever seen in my life. Why? Because it reminds me of a saying that I heard years ago by a pastor that I really revere very highly. And I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I don't remember exactly verbatim what he said. But the idea that Christ would call out to people, people would know who he was and still reject him because of their pride and they want to live for themselves reminds me of this saying that I heard long ago. Listen, when everything is all said and done and the world has come to an end, the biggest tragedy in all of human history won't be the millions killed in war. It won't be any crimes against humanity that were ever done. It won't be what Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini and Kim Il-jong did in North Korea. It won't be anything. Those won't be the worst things. It won't be the millions of children killed by abortion. 
or any evil thing that's ever been done to humanity ever. So when everything's all said and done in eternity, those things won't be the worst things that were ever done. Those won't be the worst travesties of human history. You want to know what they'll be? You want to know what it will be? The worst travesty, the worst tragedy ever in all of history ever for all eternity. This is what it'll be. It'll be the billions of human beings trapped in the eternal flames of fire. The lake of fire, in fact. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Because they rejected Jesus Christ, even though he was calling out to them, until their death. Because you see, we'll always go through hard times here. And this world only promises us death in the flesh. We're only promised eternal life in Christ. So death, no matter how you die, and no matter what kind of life you suffer on this planet, is only just very temporary. Very temporary. No matter how much you suffer, no matter how much you're ever tortured, it's all just temporary. And then you're dead, and then you go on to be in eternity. So the worst travesty and tragedy in all human history won't be the things done to us in this life, or how we even died. It'll be all the people that although God reached out to them, although Christ revealed himself to them, although Christ called the people to himself, people still rejected him. And the rejection for Christ is in an eternity in hell. I really hope that these religious leaders had a point where they turned to Christ and stopped rejecting him and, start, and stopped rejecting his calling upon them. I really hope. Because if not, something to think on. And God really sobered me up with this reality this week. And this is, it really impacted me when I saw this. And I hope it does the same for you. If they died rejecting Jesus Christ's calling, they went to hell, and guess what? They've been there ever since. Remember, the Bible says, unless Christ's sacrifice atones for your sins, you stand before God on your own sin, accountable for your own sin. So without Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you, have, you stand before God on your merit. And we're all sinners, the Bible declares, and we've all broken God's law, so we're all guilty of sin, and the, and the punishment for sin is death in hell forever. So what does that amount to for these guys? What does that amount to? What kind of picture does that give us for these guys, for these Pharisees that we looked at last week? Well, let's just say they lived for 50 more years after Jesus died. So we know, or if you don't know, Jesus died in about 33 A.D. So if they died about 50 years after, that would be 83 A.D. 33 plus 50 is 83 A.D. Now today, it's June 1st, 2014. Well, just take the numbers because we're still A.D. 2014 A.D. minus 83 A.D. equals 1,931 years. That's how long they've been dead. 1,931 years approximately. All 1,931 years have been spent 
in the flames of eternal fire. Every single minute, every single hour, every single day, every single month of every single year, they've been suffering in the eternal flames of fire forever. And guess what? There's no escape for them, and there will never be an escape for them. That means they've spent 1,931 years in this man's condition. Luke 16, 19-31, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and in fine linen and fared sumptuously every day of his life, you could say. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, listen to that description, being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off with Lazarus in his bosom. Listen to what he says. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. 1,931 years have these guys been in the torments of this flame that this man Lazarus was crying out to Abraham to just send to just the rich man, excuse me, to just send Lazarus to dip his tongue, or to dip his finger and to dip his tongue with water. 1,931 years. But here's, the, here's the unfortunate side. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us, all right, so even if I wanted to help you, between us there is a great fixed gulf that those who want to pass from here to you cannot and can those from there pass to us. And so he couldn't get over. Nobody could come and help him. He couldn't therefore even go to Abraham's bosom. He was stuck in the flames of torment and fire. And he's still there now. Verse 27, then he said, because now he's remembering now, not because hell is a place of remembrance. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers. He remembers his family that's still alive, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one that rises from the dead. So imagine 1,931 years every day of your life 
desiring even someone to come down and put a little water on your tongue because the flames of fire and torment are too much to handle. But you can't leave, you can't escape, you can't get away forever. And if these guys didn't repent, as Lazarus, or as the rich man didn't repent, they've been there every day ever since. Now, if that's not horrible, I don't know what is. If that's not heartbreaking, I don't know what is. Considering this, and it really hits you, impacts you hard when you consider that all they would have had to do, all the rich man would have ever had to do is respond to Christ or God's revealing himself to them, calling them to himself and started to follow him. Started to just say, I, I don't know, I'm wrong. I need you. I, I'm, I, take me, please, I, save me. And they could have all escaped it all if they just would have stopped rejecting and they would have responded by following. That's all they would have had to do. For us today, the same rules stand. Jesus Christ is trying to call out to you right now and draw you to himself. Everybody on the face of the planet, God is reaching out to and trying to draw to himself. Jesus is trying to draw men to himself. How can I say that? John 13, 32, John 12, 32, excuse me. Jesus says, and I... If I am lifted up from the earth, and he was talking about his death by, by crucifixion on the cross, he was lifted up on the cross. And I, if I'm lifted up, which he was from the earth, and then he was also raised up and resurrected too from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. He really loves us all. And he's trying to reach out to them all. He's trying to call everybody to himself. But sadly, sadly, the majority of people on earth, like the Pharisees, reject him willfully because of pride and choose to live for themselves. People want to be in control of their own lives, which in turn, what does that do? In turn, when you want to be in control of your own life, that makes you where you want to be your own God. And they reject Jesus when he calls out to them. And they refuse to come. Does this characterize you? If you're listening today, does this characterize you? Has God and Christ called you out in the past? Has he called your name? Have you felt him drawing you in the past? Come to me. Yet you just continue to live for you. Do you still have control of your life? Is your life still under your lordship? Or have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Because the Bible says, unless you've made Jesus your Lord, then you won't be going to heaven. You have rejected God, and you will spend the rest of eternity, just like the Pharisees have been there for 19, well, 1,931 years burning, and that will be your end. What does it mean to make Jesus your Lord? You surrender to Him. 
You put your life in His control. You put your life under His authority and you trust and obey His word and you follow Him to the best at whatever God has given you in the time that you come to do that. That's what that means. That means you give in your heart of hearts your control of your life over to God. That's what that means. If this is you that I'm talking to out there and you're hearing this message, God is again trying to draw you right now to Jesus. So please don't reject his voice anymore. Instead, turn to him. You're hearing this now. That means if you're hearing this now, there's still time. Because if you're hearing this now, God is drawing you to himself. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. Well, if you're hearing this, God's meant you to hear this, and that means he's trying to draw you to Christ. So you have an open invitation to come to him right now and turn to him and stop rejecting him. Listen to what the Bible says on this issue, Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. And again, in Hebrews 12.25, he was talking about, in Hebrews, the Israelites that went through... Went, through 40 years of the wilderness with Moses, and he says to him, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they, speaking about the children of Israel that were in the wilderness for 40 years, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, because God came down and spoke on a mountain on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. And God is calling you even from heaven right now. If you continue to, re to refuse his voice while you're alive, know the consequences. Why I, why I gave this one scripture I gave for this message today, Matthew 16, 4, was because if you continue to, review, re to refuse his voice while you're still alive, he will eventually respond to you like he did to the religious leaders in Matthew 16, 4 in the end. Matthew 16, 4 says, And he left them and departed. Christ showed himself, revealed himself, yet they tested him, yet they didn't follow him, yet they rejected him. He didn't sit there and argue. He didn't sit there and, come on, guys, he didn't beg them. You won't be begged to be God's child. You won't be begged to come and follow Jesus. You won't be, but God's not going to beg you to inherit eternal life. He'll plead with you, but he's not going to argue with you. He's not going to fight you over it. He's not going to twist your arm behind your back and, and force you into the gates of heaven. He'll just depart like he did in Matthew 16, 4. He didn't argue with him. Just told him the truth and he departed. That's what God's doing today to everyone that's listening. He's telling you the truth. And I don't know how many more times he'll ever tell you the truth if you don't come to him today. But one day, he'll depart from you. And he'll stop calling out to you. And if he tries to call to you multiple times and you continue to reject, and continue to reject his voice, he'll eventually stop reaching out to you completely. And in essence, at that point, he'll cut you off from even your opportunity to get saved. I hate to bring this guy up, but it's unfortunate that it happened to him, but we have Pharaoh as an example of this in the Old Testament. God tells Moses, go into Egypt, go to Pharaoh, tell him I want my people. Tell him to go three days into the wilderness to, to, to sacrifice to me and tell him and Pharaoh rejected. So God gave signs to Moses 
to do, just like Jesus did signs to the people that were amongst him, just like God is still giving us signs and even wonders and miracles today to see. And he gave Moses signs to go to Pharaoh, and he showed Pharaoh these signs. And do you know that as God revealed himself to Pharaoh time after time after time after time after time again with punishment after punishment after punishment. Let my people go is what God wanted. Pharaoh would know that that was God because there's no other. He even admits it toward the end. I know your God is real. I know. Go. Get out of here at the very end. But unfortunately, unfortunately, in the first five plagues, along with a test right before the plague started, Pharaoh, and the Bible records this in Exodus in chapter 5 through 9, states that Pharaoh hardened his own heart toward God six times. Now there were ten plagues. So five, unfortunately, five more times after the sixth time that God reached out to Pharaoh to try to reveal himself to him, it, the Bible records that then God started hardening Pharaoh's heart. The last five times. A total of 11 times that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Six times he did it himself. And then the last time, because he just refused to believe, the last five, God hardened it for him. That what I just told you was true. If anybody's hearing and they feel God calling them, if you continue to reject Christ multiple times, you'll continue to reject his voice. He will eventually stop reaching out to you completely and cut off your chances even to get saved, just like he did for Pharaoh. So I plead with you today, please respond to God reaching out to you through me. Jesus Christ says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's your promise. That's if you turn. If I knock and you open, I'll come in and we'll be together. Please don't reject Christ as he draws you to himself today. God wants to save you from your sins. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then we, and I'll say I because I'm the same, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's pleading through me and us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God wants to save you and reconcile you to Christ. That's his whole goal. That's his whole desire. He desires that none perish and all come to repentance. But just an aside before I get back. I'll tell you again, when I first started preparing for this message, I never intended this message to be this type. I never, ever, not one time ever thought in my mind, this is exactly the message that I want to preach this week. In fact, I told a brother last night, this whole week, and especially this weekend, I have been getting hit nothing but, but by nothing but spiritual attack after spiritual attack after spiritual attack after spiritual attack. I, I was... Praying to God, God, how can, I, how can I say all these things? I don't even know who's going to be listening. Oh my gosh, this is just nothing but an evangelical message. I thought I was you know, supposed to teach through the Bible, verse by verse. And yet, it just kept flowing. You know, I normally just recap this week's the last week's message and then move on. 
This week's, this week's message, I started out with the recap of last week, and God just kept pouring this, this stuff into my heart to say to the people that are listening. He just kept pouring it into my heart, telling them, hear, my, hear me, do you hear me, do you hear me? Please come. I believe anyway that this special message is like an, almost an extended close from last week's message. I closed kind of with this same exhortation, but wasn't able really to get this in depth. I believe that God wanted me to speak more on this topic and not rejecting him when he calls you because of the consequences. There's so, the consequences, consequences are so horrible. So if you're listening to me for the first time, wherever you are, this is not my normal type of teaching. But I will also say this to anybody that's listening for the first time or even those that have been with me a long time and listened for a long time. I will say this to anyone that's listening. You've got to think about these kind of things because I did while I was preparing this message. If this is not my normal type of teaching, then why did God want me to speak on this subject as my whole sermon topic today? Why? What is the purpose? Because I didn't want to teach this. I did not want to come and I did not want to teach this this week. And people that know me and love me know that I'm not a liar and I wouldn't lie to you. This is not my kind of... I, Although I love to evangelize, this is church and I think I should be building up believers, but there's only one reason that comes to my mind as to why God said, teach this message this week. And here's what I got. There must be someone that's listening today or that will listen whenever to this message that God is trying to speak these specific words to because he's calling them out by name through me. So I will ask you today, I will ask you today, how have you responded to Christ as he has called you out, trying to bring you to himself? And are you even feeling God reach out to you and draw you to himself right now? If you hear him calling you today, if you hear God reaching out for you today and you hear him calling you today, I plead with you like Paul said in 2 Corinthians, come and be reconciled to Christ. Please. Now you may be listening to this message and believe that you have come to Jesus when he's called you. And you think you are saved already. But you still feel God is calling you. You still feel like through my words, through what I'm saying to you, that God is still drawing you to himself. Well, this can be confusing, can it? Wait a minute. I, I, I've, I've taken that step. I, I've come to Christ in the past. I, I, I'm, I'm good with God. Me and God, I, I, I'm saved. But yet today you, you still feel a, a calling. You, you still feel a drawing from God. Come to me. I'll help you with this. I will say to you even more than anyone else, if that's what you're thinking, please don't delay and come to Christ right now and don't wait. And why would I say that? Well, number one, why would God be drawing you through my words if you were really saved and you were really right with him? Guess what? He wouldn't be. God doesn't have to call those that are already his. Those that are already he's been sanctifying and working on, he doesn't have to call them. So chances are, that what you think is wrong and that you're not really right with God right now and you need to respond to Jesus Christ as he's calling out to you. And there's two reasons why I say that. There's kind of two categories that God gave me. Number one, if you've come to Christ in the past and you've 
surrendered your life to him and you've gotten saved, but you, right now you're backslidden? Well, the Bible says that you're in danger. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Jesus Christ said, only those that endure to the end shall be saved. So I don't care if 20 years ago you surrendered your life to Jesus and you were born again and you were saved, but five years ago you walked away from God and right now, you know, you're just kind of in limbo and, yeah, you know, you have a belief in him, but, you know, ah, you know, I believe in him, but I, I do my own thing. Well, only those that endure to the end should be saved. And only those that where Jesus Christ is their Lord will go to heaven. And that means if he's your Lord, you live for him and you don't live for yourself. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. So again, I say, if you think, well, you know, I'm not what, what you're saying. You know, I, you know, I could see I'm, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I should be. I, you know, I, I have backed up from God. I, I have backslidden. Well, the Bible says, please, God says to you today. Come back to me. Please come back to me. My child, I love you. I want you to be mine. Right now you're rejecting me. And if you reject his sacrifice, if you reject living for him, then you're rejecting him. So please come back. But there's a second reason too. And this one goes so deep. And I pray that you open your hearts to what I'm about to tell you because this one may rock your whole world. Please listen to what I'm saying to you carefully. It could be that you're feeling God call you even though you think you're saved because the time that you came, that you thought you came, you never really came at all and you never really got saved in the first place. You never really ever got saved in the first place. Many people believe that they've been saved and they're right with Christ, but they're not. They're deceived. We live in an age, sad age, where a mass number of people in America, I know firsthand, and I'm sure all over the world, believe that they're saved. But unfortunately, they're not. And you, you may be sitting there, you may have gotten offended with what I just said. Well, Pastor Ed, how can you say that? How can you say that? How, you're judging me. No, the Bible is judging me. Because here's how I know. I've been talking to others about Jesus Christ for over 13 years. I've had literally hundreds and thousands of conversations with people on this topic of what does it mean to be saved? How do you know that you're saved? On our website, gospelsavingchurch.com, we have a PDF file that you can download, that you can print off your own tracks. I wrote a track for God. How do you know you're saved? About seven years ago on this same topic, and I've been passing it out ever since. I've had hundreds and thousands of conversations with people all over this country about this same topic. And how do I know with what I said, many people are deceived. Many people tell me that they're saved. But when I start to talk about it with them, when we start to talk about what it means to be saved according to the Bible, they have no idea or they give me unholy, unbiblical answers to why they think that they're saved. Unfortunately, there are many false teachings in our world today. There's many false teachings in the church in America and over the world today on how a person gets saved. And how does this happen? Well, I know exactly how it's happened. God's shown it to me. Years ago, when Christ was talking to Peter, and, P and, and Jesus asked him, well, Peter, uh, who do men say that I am? And he said, well, men say this and that and Elijah and this one and that one. He goes, but, but who do you say that I am, Peter? 
And he said, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You, you're, you're, you know, you're the one. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. For what you just said, on what you just said, the gates of hell on, by, on this rock, my church will stand and the gates of hell will not come against it. So Christ made a statement to Peter. He said, by me being who you said that I was, the Christ, the Messiah, the one, to, the Savior of the world, on that statement, I'll build my church. <clears throat> and Satan won't be able to tear it down. Okay? So what did Satan say after that? Did Satan just say, oh, well, I guess because, you know, I guess because Christ said that, I, you know, I will never tear down his church, and I, I just guess I give up. <clears throat> Wrong folks. Wrong. Here's what he said. He tried to tear down the church of God. Oh, he tried. Oh, absolutely he tried. And when he couldn't because God's word stands, guess what he tried to do? He said, well, if I can't beat him, I'll join him. So what did he do? He knew that he couldn't tear down the church of God. So what did he do? He came in and he started influencing weak ministers of the Lord. And he started deceiving them about all kinds of ways in which what? He hates people. He hates God. He doesn't want to see anybody go to heaven. So he started deceiving pastors. He started deceiving ministers of the Lord into thinking that salvation was from this, that, and the other thing, but not the truth. And as a result of these false teachings in the, in the majority, unfortunately, of the Christian church today, many people believe themselves to be saved but they are deceived. Here are the biggest lies of today, okay? I got the three biggest lies of today that God led me to write down here. Here's the biggest lies of today. I believe I'm saved because I believe in Jesus. Oh, amen. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I, I believe in Jesus. Well, I hate to tell you that James 2.19 says that you believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And we all know that the demons aren't going to be saved. Most people believe and consider their belief in Jesus to be the same belief that I have in the sun and the moon and the stars. I believe that I'm standing up here talking right now. I believe that I have a couple cars. I believe that I have a house. I believe I'm 39 years old. So what? You, I have billions of beliefs. So what? A belief is just a belief. It's not Salvation in a just simple head belief. Listen to this. The Pharisees in Matthew 16, 1 through 4, they believed in Jesus. They believed that he was Messiah. They believed that he was Christ. But what happened? Jesus in that section of scripture called them hypocrites. And he scorned them and then he departed from them. But yet they believed in him. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, who calls Jesus Lord except for what? Those that believe in him. And those that believe that they're saved. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, they call him again. They believe in him. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And yet I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. They believed in him. They had a And then not even that, they thought they were saved. And they, they called him Lord. So don't tell me that I have a belief in Jesus 
And I'm saved because the Bible says nowhere that a simple belief in Jesus Christ will save you. Belief is necessary in Jesus Christ. It's a starting point, absolutely. Belief that He is real is a starting point. But the belief, when you read the word believe in your Bible, whenever you read it, if you read John 3.16 and those other verses, that all those who believe in me and this, that, and the other, <clears throat> that word belief should have been better translated as putting their full, total faith in, not head knowledge belief. Because a head knowledge belief of sun and moon and stars, Jesus Christ and Satan and the world won't get you anywhere in God's eyes. I'm just telling you the truth. Maybe you think, lie number two, maybe you think you're saved because number two, you prayed a prayer one time and you asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I love you. Oh, Lord, please come into my life and save me. Oh, Lord, I, I just love you. I, boy, I really don't want to go to hell. Oh, Lord, please save me. Maybe you prayed a prayer one time. Oh, Lord. Well, I challenge you on this one thing. Please take this in love. You go to your whole Bible and you read it from cover to cover. And guess what you'll find? Nothing. You won't find one place where God or Christ or Jesus or, or the disciples ever led somebody in a prayer of salvation ever. Not one time will you ever read Jesus say, oh, if you want to believe in me, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. It just doesn't exist, exist people. It just, it's not there. A prayer does not save anyone. A prayer life gets you closer to God. But if you're separated from God by your sins, you can pray to him from today until the day you die and God doesn't hear you. That's what the Bible says. If you regard iniquity in your heart, God doesn't hear your prayer. So unless you've come, unless you've made him your Lord first, and that happens as a supernatural thing in your heart that you do make a decision for, God doesn't hear your prayers. So no prayer of anything, one prayer saves anybody. Number three, biggest lie. Maybe you think you're saved because you think you're a good person. Just maybe. Well, I've got bad news for you. In Luke 18, 19, Jesus said to a rich young ruler that said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to know what he'd do in order to attain eternal life, heaven. And Jesus gave him bad news. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. There's no one good but God. Now, what's the opposite of good? Everybody I've always asked always hardly says bad. No, go to your modern movies. Good versus, you've got it. Good versus evil. We're not good people. There's no one good on this earth but God. You and I and every person that's ever been born on this face of this planet is evil. We are nothing but evil. So that's a lie. So if you believe you're saved because of any of these reasons, then you've been deceived by the false teachings and lies of the devil that he's planted in the church. And I hate to tell you, but you're not saved at all. Again, I say, if you feel like the Lord Jesus Christ is drawing you to himself today, whether backslidden or deceived from whatever time you prayed a prayer, I'm a good person or whatever, please, today is the day God is calling out to you. Don't reject the voice of Christ anymore. He wouldn't be calling out to you if you were really saved. 
He wouldn't be calling you. He wouldn't be drawing you if you were really right in God's eyes. So I got the lies out of the way. I got the false teachings out of the way of salvation. Now what should I do? God already told me, simplify, simplify, simplify. My desire is that you know the true teaching of the Bible on salvation so that you can come to Christ and really get saved. So how does a person, how does someone come to Christ? How do we come to Christ? We've already looked at the false ways that you come to Christ. Well, I could just pray this prayer. Or, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I believe in God or, you know, or, oh, you know, whatever. I believe in Jesus. And those are all lies. So what, how do we? Again, God makes it simple in his word. So that's what I want to do. Make it simple. Coming to Christ, getting saved, becoming a new child of God is not complicated at all. In fact, it's very simple. It's not easy to make the decision because of the cost that it costs you, but it's, but it's so easy and so uncomplicated. First step of your biblical salvation is, number one, you need to realize that you have a problem. Because unless you realize you have a problem, unless you realize I'm not right right now, or I'm sick, unless you realize it, unless you accept it, you're never going to go get medicine. So you could have the flu, you could have cancer, but you could just not believe it. Oh, I just not believe it. And then, you know, when the doctor gives you six months to live, well, I'm just not going to believe it. And in six months you die, then you'll believe it then. But just not believing that you have something, that's you're deceiving yourself. So your first step to recognition of anything is realizing that you're wrong. Realizing I'm not with Christ, I'm in trouble. Oh, no, what do I do? So whether you've backslidden away from Christ and are, not, or, and, and are not enduring with Him, or you just believe you're saved because of one of the lies I mentioned above, then you're still sick in your sin and you desperately need the spiritual healing of Christ. You desperately need the spiritual healing that only Jesus can give. And you want the Bible on it? Because I told you I'd give it to you right from the Bible. Well, Jesus, when He spoke many things like this, said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In this statement, He was saying... I know what I'm saying not everybody's going to accept. You have to accept that you're not right in God's eyes first and come to grips with, oh no, I'm in trouble before you could ever receive help. An alcoholic, a drug addict, only until they realize do they have a problem can they then go and get treatment for their problem. Well, if you're backslidden or you're deceived by one of those lies, well, I prayed a prayer or whatever you're thinking in your mind, then you're deceived and you still haven't gotten your spiritual connection with God. You still haven't been reconciled to Christ. Which leads to me to my second point. If you've come to that point, if you've come to that point and you think, I, I realize I'm wrong. Oh my gosh. I've been deceived 20 years, 5 years, 30 years, whatever it is. I've been deceived. I, I need help. Leads us to point number two. What does the Bible say once you realize you need help? How do you take the step? Number one, well, there's only one step, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Hebrews 6.1 says that repentance from dead works and faith toward God is a foundation. It's foundational. You cannot get saved if you don't come and repent and put your faith in God. That's simple as simple can get. What is repentance? The Bible declares and, and definitions of repentance go like this. You have a change of heart toward your sinful life. You have a change of heart toward God. 
It's not anything you can do in the flesh that gets you saved. But in your heart of hearts, when you say, I'm wrong, I need change. I, I don't want this way anymore. I, I want to be reconciled to God. You, that's a step of repentance. Lord, I want that. That's repentance. I want that. Please, Lord. I, I don't want this anymore. I, I want to, I'm, I'm repenting right now. Please. I, I want this. That's repentance. Repentance is turning to God with your whole heart, making a decision in your heart of hearts to live for God and Jesus Christ and not yourself anymore. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. I need you. While turning away from your sinful life. Faith, simple, deciding to put all your faith, all your trust, all your hope of this life and the one after, putting them in the hands of Jesus Christ. And without faith and repentance, no one is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus spoke about repentance and faith perfectly a couple different ways in a couple different scriptures. Matthew 10, 37-39, he says it perfectly. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he told you right there, one of your steps of repentance is to turn all your love that you have for anything on this earth toward God and make him first. That's your step of repentance, first of all. Take a step of repentance. Decide in your heart, I'm going to love God first. Verse 38, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Listen, he who finds his life will lose it. If you find a life here on this planet and you're happy with life and you find it, all right, I've got life. Yes, I've got life. Jesus said, you just lost your eternal life. But he finishes on and he said, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Losing your life, total surrender unto God. I need you. I want you. I can't live this way anymore. Jesus, please save me. I'm selling out right now. I don't want myself anymore in my life. I, I need you. Please take me. I'm yours. Complete surrender unto God. He who finds his life will lose it. He who finds his eternal life with me will lose his life now to me. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, so if anyone wanting to come after Jesus, anybody out there wanting to come after Jesus, anybody wanting to get saved, anybody wanting to come and be a disciple, this is for you too, let him deny himself. Decide to crucify your sinful passions. Decide to not live for sin anymore, but to live for Christ. Take up his cross. That means put to death the deeds of your flesh. Put to death your flesh, the things that you want to live for, you. And then follow after me. And he repeats what he said in Matthew chapters 10. And he says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's salvation. That's not my salvation. That's salvation. True salvation is like God and Christ inviting you to get married. Okay? Why would I say this? Well, there's similarities in the same commitment that you make in marriage that you make toward God and Christ. A commitment that a man and a woman will make deciding to get married is the very same similar decision that you'll make to follow Christ. 
Number one, what do you do? First of all, you decide to commit yourselves one to another forever. That's step number one. You can't get married if you want a commitment with five other women, but you want to be married to this woman. That's not really marriage. That's not going to last anyway. You're not going to be married very long. So you have to, number one, decide to commit yourself to one to another forever, just like Christ, committing oneself to him. And number two, you can't have a relationship unless you have what? Unless you have trust, repentance from dead works, and faith toward God. You will never have a successful relationship in life unless you trust the one that you want to be with. Because if you don't trust them, you won't be with them for very long because you'll always be thinking that they're cheating you. You'll always be thinking that they're this. You'll always be thinking that. So even in marriage, you have to take a step of repentance toward a single life and put your faith in your spouse that they won't cheat on you and then they'll be yours. A commitment to one another is the same commitment that God wants from people in real salvation. Then in this relationship that you have, which kind of plays out the Christian life, we see it in the marriage. You find out the things that make your husband or wife happy and you do those things. Well, you go to the word of God if you really want a relationship with God. You read, God, what makes you happy? <gasps> what makes you happy? I want to do those things. And then in a marriage, you find out the things that your spouse, husband or wife doesn't like. And then you don't do those things. Usually you unfortunately find out by accident. Oh, she didn't like that. Oh, sorry. And then you have to say you're sorry. Well, in a sense, repent of your sins towards your wife. And then you have to say you're sorry. And then don't keep doing those things that your wife doesn't like. Same thing in Christ. Same thing in the Bible. Same thing towards God. Repentance toward dead works sinfulness, and faith in God. Now, remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon. When everything is all said and done, the world being over, everything's rolled up like a scroll. God's made the new heavens and the new earth come down. Everybody's going to be where they're going to be forever. The people that chose Christ are going to be in heaven forever with God and the new heavens and new earth. And the people that decided to reject his calling out to their voice are going to be in the eternal flames of torment. The worst tragedy ever in humankind is not going to be all the people that were murdered, all the kids that were molested, all Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini. All those things are horrible things, and I, those are sin, sinful, and they're terrible things, but they still won't be the worst thing that happened to mankind for all eternity. It'll be what, what did I say before? It'll be the billions upon billions of people that although God reached out to them, reached out to you right now today, you chose to continue to reject his calling. Even though you have a belief in him, you just, I, that's all, I just want to believe. I'm good. I, he's, he's not, I don't, no Lord. Well, that, that means I got to give up me. It'll be billions and billions in eternal torment because they rejected Jesus Christ calling them out and trying to reveal himself to you and you continuing to reject him and continuing to want to be your own God. Don't let this be you, please. Like Paul says, I implore you, I beg you in Christ, through Christ, as, I'm as Christ is pleading through me, don't let this be so the title of the sermon, I ask you today, do you hear him calling you today? 
Do you hear Jesus Christ calling out to you today? Please respond to Him and come to Him now and surrender your life to Him totally. Anyone listening to this sermon now that has no excuse as to really the true knowledge of coming to Christ and getting saved. Today I quoted Jesus' words to you right from His very mouth. Today you heard no man's opinions. I didn't give you my opinion, what I thought, how, how I think someone gets saved. <clears throat> if I did this, then drag me away right now and throw me in hell right now because I would be preaching God's word the wrong way. You got the truth right from the Bible, right from God's very own mouth. Now there's only one thing left to do. It's up to you. What are you going to do about it? Simply knowing how to be saved doesn't make you saved. Simply knowing the information how to get saved doesn't make a person saved. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, they knew it. Not everyone who says to me, they know it, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Well, what's the will of the Father? God's will is that we make a decision to surrender our lives and decide to follow Jesus Christ and make him our Lord. That's God's will. I have this saying God gave me years ago on this same subject. Wisdom applied, wisdom not applied is foolishness. Wisdom not applied is foolishness. We can know that Christ is calling us and we can know that he loves us and we can know that he died for our sins and we can know all the things and promises that God has for us and we can know what he said to do. How do I come? What do I do? We can know it all. But unless we act on that knowledge, James said it, faith without works is dead. Our wisdom that we have on that subject is foolishness to us and to God. If you today had the wisdom right now to go out starting tomorrow and go in your life and make yourself $10 billion and you had the wisdom on how to do it, but you never went and made yourself that $10 billion, that wisdom that you had to do that, not applied, was foolishness. So today I ask you again, don't let God call you again and again and again and again without turning to Christ. Please come to him today. He loves you. He died for your sins. He took all the penalty of sin upon himself on the cross and died for your sins because that's how much he loves you. And then the third day he rose again, defeating death so that all who would call upon his name, all those who would decide to surrender to him and follow him and make, them, make him their Lord can all have eternal life and be with God forever. And the alternative is terrible, and God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that faith for you. And he sent me up here, and anybody that's ever going to listen to tell you that God doesn't want that for you. God wants you to get saved. God wants you to walk with him, but you have to make the choice. Please come today. Cry out to him. Get on your hands and knees and beg him for forgiveness and cry out to him and give him your life. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this message, Lord God. Thank you so much that even though I wasn't 
really excited about preaching it, Lord. Lord, you, you just kept giving it to me, and I couldn't reject it. I couldn't deny it, Lord, so I don't know who's, who, who it's for. Lord, I don't know what, who's out there listening or who will ever be listening, Lord God, that needs to hear this today. I just pray, Lord God, please, that you would beckon them and that they would respond to you by nothing less than just complete, complete surrender unto you. Please, dear God, continue to draw them and don't give up on them like you did Pharaoh, Lord. Please continue to reach out to them, Lord. I just pray that after today, here today, they will come to you, Lord. Anybody that's not yours, that they feel your drawing right now, I pray that they will come to you and cry out to you and surrender their lives to you, Lord God, and don't live another day as the God of their own lives. I pray these things, all these things, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.